0: Good morning. A little winter came through here, huh? This week feels like another place, but it's good. My name is Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Redemption. Dave, uh, Pastor Dave, is uh, in India, in southern India. Uh, The team got there. He, Kira, and Paul Bell got there safely earlier this week. And some pictures have come back, and some video have come back. And those are shared on some Slack channels. We'll probably post them um, in the church email so you can see them. uh, The things that are happening there without us have been amazing. Uh, I saw a video of Dave uh, baptizing uh, people in India. Yeah, uh, that video is out there. So um, keep praying for them. Uh, I'm sure when Dave comes back, we'll give him an opportunity to share a, at length about the journey and the stories and, and what's happening in southern India. Uh, God is moving in an incredible way uh, in, that, in that place and, and places all over the world. This is just a little glimpse of what he's doing. Um, let me pray and then uh, we can begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning I thank you, Lord, for the hearts and minds that are present here this morning, to hear your word. Lord, no one came to hear from Marcus this morning. They came to hear from you. Lord, I pray I'm just a mouthpiece to communicate um, your gospel, your truth, in a way that reminds us, challenges us, rebukes us, encourages us uh, to live a life that is Christ-like. We give you all the honor and the glory in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. I'm just gonna set my timer before you know before we get into some I, I was at the gospel rescue mission on Friday preaching uh, and the 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 guy who was the, the chapel head said Marcus you can preach as long as you want you got an hour. I thought oh, okay Okay, but usually <laughs> when folks say that, you know, it's like, no, nah, you don't have the whole hour. But it was a, it was a joy and a and a, and a great uh, great time there. Usually when I go to churches and they tell you, you know, oh, you know, as pastors always say, uh, oh, you pastor, you, you have you have a, let the spirit lead. You preach, you know, you go as long as you want. You know, some preachers will say, hey, you can go as long as you want, but the people leave at eleven, right? <laughs> So we'll keep, we'll keep it short, keep our engagement um, at a level that we can maintain. Uh, so let's, let's look. I always remind you that James chapter three, in the book of James chapter three, verse one, the Bible says to anyone who occupies the space that I'm occupying right now and, and doing what I'm doing, preaching the word of God will be judged more harshly. Any one of us uh, who, who are called to stand in this space, will be judged at some point. So what I'm going to do this morning, I will be judged at some point. I will stand before the Lord and answer for what I do. So I pray for great courage uh, to preach the truth and not be fearful of anyone or anything or any ideology. Uh, If you need a Bible this morning, the ushers will bring you one. If you forgot yours, just slip up your hand and uh, the ushers will hand you one. If you're If Spanish is your heart language and you would like one in that language, you do have those as well. So just slip up your hands and we'll get you one. We are in a series of sermons, uh, four weeks. This is week number two on the idea of Christian maturity. Uh, What are the characteristics of a mature Christian? What does it take to grow in maturity as Christian? If you've been a Christian, or attended church for any length of time, you have heard, or perhaps maybe you have wondered, what was the church like when it first started? Have you ever wondered that question? When church first began in the first century, what was it like? Some, some of you have heard pastors say, oh, we need to be more like the first century church, right? We know just by intuition that the first century church was dramatically different than what we have today, obviously, right? We know that they were different, but how and why did it change? In his great book, Center Church, which serves as kind of like a handbook for young pastors, Tim Keller pulls from many church sociologists and and, and people who study the sociology of religion and church, they're quick to point out, that if you want to understand the changes in church, you don't need to really go back to the first century. You can go back just two centuries or three centuries to understand how we got to where we are today. Before the 18th century, did you know? Before the 18th century, a person, if you became a Christian, right? If you lived a Christian life, you you went through a process that was corporate, it was gradual and it was formal, right? It was completely, your journey as a Christian was completely church-centric. I'm just going to make this bigger because eyes ain't that good anymore. An infant was typically raised in the church. They were brought up by their whole family for baptism, right? After that came a period of what the church calls catechism, which is a teaching of how of the instruction of church history and creeds and traditions. Finally, that child would be admitted to the Lord's Supper as a full communicant. So within the church community, when a child was born, they were walked through specifically um, church, kind of how we live as Christians. We were taught formally. Weddings and funerals in the church were significant events. All those events were observed by one's family in the presence of the congregation of people. If you attended, by the way, if we were all in the first century church and we attended the same church and two people were getting married in our church, guess who was invited? All of us. Some of you guys shuddered, like, man, I'm about to put invitations. There's some people in here, I don't know, right? <laughs> one's faith was inherited, then confirmed through highly communal processes that entailed the support and approval of not only one's uh, nuclear family and church, but also by the religious authorities around. Everything about your church, your Christian life, was done in church community. Well, what happened in the last two centuries that it seems as though we've veered from that? Why have we lost some of that, but replaced it? I'm not one of those old people that we need to go back. I'm not saying that this morning. Don't don't tell me out early, right? What did we lose, and what have we added? We have added some very vibrant faith norms and traditions. Right? They they didn't have it all right then. We don't have it all right now. It's very, it's just different. We have gone from everyone invited to weddings to cold shutters when I made that comment about the whole church is invited to your wedding. A few years ago, probably two or three years ago, I went back to Maryland where I went to high school and college because the, uh, I was a teacher before I became a pastor, and the teacher next door to me for years had, a, uh, had brain cancer and passed away. So we went to bury her, and we went to this small church, a small Baptist church in rural Maryland, and we, 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 we had the funeral in the church, and her burial was actually right outside of the church, in the graveyard on, on the side of the church. That was how it was, right? Right? And we buried her in a cemetery, right outside the church. That's very unusual for today, but for, it was very typical for hundreds of, years, a few, hundreds of years, a few centuries ago. People lived life together. They loved God together, not only personally. Well, what changed? We know this. We know this Sociolo- sociologically tells us, Industrialization happened. The mobilization of our population happened because of the automobile and advances in technology. Our lifestyles changed. More people moved to cities. Many people, were, many people were displaced by economics or, or other things, so the parish model of church dwindled. And our society became more pluralistic religiously, and that was a good thing. So how can we, in the 21st century, despite our distance and socializations in cities and technology, maintain community? How can we love God together how can we pursue holiness together the church in colossae where paul is writing the letter this letter that we're going to study this morning too. paul is writing they were facing some challenges in this city right it was a massive city they, they had some challenges because it was one of those busy cities where it was transient. There was a lot of, there was a, a roadway going from Asia to Europe and Europe to Asia, and a lot of people would stop in the city. So the city was very transient. It was also very pluralistic. Um, there were different languages spoken, different groups, very interesting. A lot of people were intersecting in that city that wouldn't otherwise, otherwise intersect. And Paul, being one of the first Christian missionaries, is telling the church in Colossae how we ought to live differently from the world around us. And there are a few things that we can pick up here in the 21st century from this verse, from from these few verses. Pursuing God together. Pick me up in verse number 12 of chapter three. Paul says then, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Put on these things, he says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. What does it have to do with church tradition and history? Traditions change and fade. What knits communities together is much deeper than the church building, right? Where we worship, where we go, where we're laid to rest, these things bring us back to a place and a time, but what keeps us knit together are these characteristics that are Christ-like. When Paul says, you are God's chosen ones, people who have been called by God, you belong to him. God has looked at you, and he's pursued you, and he's chosen you to become a part of a community. It's a little quiet in here this morning. I feel like I'm on the first tea. Am I on the first tea this morning? I am not. <laughs> Verse 11 tells us, what we should put to rest, right? Go back just one, oh, what, not what we should put to rest, but who we used to be, what, what the community is. He says, here in Christian community, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is in all. Christ, But Christ is all and in all. Now, That list of people and and things that he just listed are people that wouldn't normally be in the same room, right? In Colossae, when when I saw the word barbarian, I don't know if barbarian sticks out to you when he mentions barbarians. When you think of a barbarian, you think of somebody who's completely unhinged, if you will. I don't even like to use that word. But barbarians in those times were people who were living in Greek places who didn't speak the language of Greek. So they, couldn't, they, were, they had a language barrier, right? As a result, they were considered uneducated and had a reputation for just kind of being rough people. The Scythians, by the way, are those people who lived along the sea who were, who were even considered worse than the barbarians because not only did they, not, they did not speak the language, they didn't associate with other people. Paul is saying you will come across people from all walks of life. You will be, who will be, people will become believers from all walks of life right? You will, they will live in community with you. What brings you together is not your language or tradition. What brings you together and what will sustain your community is the Christ-like culture, the Christ-like characters that sustain you, which is on this list. In order to live and sustain a community of believers with such diversity, we had to put on new things. We had to put on new things, we have to put on new identities in our new era, right? Compassion in hearts, humility, meekness, right? There are a few things that knit us together. Our challenge in the 21st century in the city of Tucson is not much different than what they had before. In our city, according to the U of A study, there are 300 locations in this city that speak a different language. There are 71 different languages spoken in our schools there are cultural challenges. We live in a very religiously pluralistic society, meaning there are people you interact, you and I interact with on a regular basis, who do things or believe things that are very different than we do. There are people we interact with within our church who are ethnically and culturally very different than we are. But let me say this. The people who are in this room who consider themselves Christians who are who are chosen by God are closer to us than sometimes our family members who aren't following Christ. Wrap your head around that. You and that person sitting next to you this morning may have a, clo- you have a shared destiny than people who aren't, who aren't following the Lord. You guys ready to get interactive? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, we family. Okay, don't, don't dress it up. Don't, don't say, don't correct it grammatically, don't say, we are family, <laughs> okay? Some of you guys want to dress it up, right? We are family. We family. I want you to say this, let's love God together. Because, thank you, because what knits us together is greater than what threatens to bring us apart. Our old identities want to share us apart, right? Our anger, our malice obscene talk Paul talks about, right? Wants to Want to bring us apart. We can say things like, man, I would love to hang out with more Christians. I would love to be able to go in and out of communities. But man, technology separates some of us. Socioeconomic separates me from this other person. This person makes more than I do. This person makes less than me. This person's of a different race. This person doesn't speak my language, right? But the heart issues is what really, what, what really binds us and what should bring us together def- despite all the divisions. We can say, hey, this person doesn't like the same music I do. We don't live in the same neighborhood. We're not of the same generation. That, by the way, let me just take a time out right there, okay? I'm gonna say something right now. You might not like it, but I'm gonna say it. Um, something occurred in our country in the last 10 or so years that is uniquely american and we've built this dividing wall based on generational identities you hear what i'm saying that the the gen z the millennial the gen xers the boomers it seems like we've put up some walls and that identity has actually made it into the church. And so when we see people with a little bit of snow up top, we think they're irrelevant because they're over 50. I'm coming for you boomers, don't worry, <laughs> right? <laughs> when, we, when someone tells you you're age, and when they tell you their age, you say, oh, I'm 24. You're like, man, that's just a baby. Don't know nothing. Right? We've created these walls. Brothers and sisters, I'm glad we can laugh about it. But that's another way we can live counterculturally. We can live in Christian community to love God together, is to develop intergenerational friendships and discipleship relationships. I heard an amen. Somebody's awake. <laughs> Some of these things we need to bring down, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul gives us kind of a blueprint of how to live, how to love God together. He says this in verse 19 through 23. For though, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them, To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might windows under the law. For to those outside the law, I became one like one outside the law, right? That I might windows outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. I want you to catch something here. He keeps saying, in, in, in old versions, in, in old, old translations, says, I have become. He says, I have become. I became. I became. There's a transformation that happened in his heart when he became a Christian to say, I have become. I have, you, we, we as Christians, we, we've got to be in a the, in the sense, when we meet people who are brothers in Christ but are from a different language or different, we have to become. We have to become. Do you hear me? You hear me this morning. I have become. Now, Can I tell you one of my favorite I have become stories? Amen. When I first came to this country, I was 14, 15 years old, and families would invite us to their homes, American families. I'm a refugee from West Africa, right? Folks invite you to their house, you show up. So I would show up to these homes. And I remember distinctly one time, this family made steak. But it was steak that was not well done, right? So when I cut into it and I saw the blood, I didn't want to eat it. But it's an American delicacy. When they came to my house and I had this pot of soup going with chicken feet in there, and you can see the chicken feet like that, it's a delicacy for me. Or you put it on the plate, Americans are like, I don't want to eat that. (laughs) We have become. I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm suffering for the Lord when someone puts steak in front of me. (laughs) I have become. (laughs) I love steak. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm trying to get to you this morning is that sometimes the cultural walls, the things that we put up, Really can tend to artificially divide us. When what knits us together is our Christian identity. I must say this before I move on. I have become, I have become. Don't leave here this morning. If you are struggling with alcoholism or different things, don't go back to the bar and tell them I have become. Don't do that, poor war, okay? Don't go to places. And things that, that you struggle with and say, well, God has called me back. I have become. I need to go back to this place. I need to reintegrate myself with sinful lifestyles because Paul says, I need to become. You don't need to become that. Right? That's the gutter we got to stay out of. As Christians, we are just different. Don't resist being different. Increasingly, we're, in, we're very different than the world around us. This is the reason why we, we stress the idea of tapestry, of diversity in RCs when it comes to age and socioeconomic and race and groups. This is the reason why we push intergenerational relationships why we push. You know, we, we used to say, I remember I went to this conference and someone was saying, I wish my church was this. I wish my church had more intergenerational relationships, socioeconomic relationships. And one pastor said to me, he said, I wish in my church parking lot there were shopping carts and BMWs and, and to display the diversity in socioeconomics in my church parking lot. And he was praying for that. In America, it gets hard with generation, with socioeconomic, with race. But we have to become different and swim the other way. Our identities in Christ transcend ethnicity or race or social status. What, what binds us together is compassionate hearts. Is We are chosen ones. We are humble. We are kind. We are meek. We are patient. We want to understand. We seek to understand. There is something that is to be gained when we love God together. What we've done in the 21st century is gathering together despite our change, technology and things like that. But we have adapted as a church, which I think is a good thing for the church. Right, We've built churches in diverse communities and places. We've established parachurch ministries and campus ministries and church networks to help discipleship in different settings. And I think that is good because since we can't go to church and and do catechism all together, these different things, these different ministries and places bring us together so we can love God together. While we do not, while these things do not replace the church, they provide a community of discipleship that in our fast, ever-changing world, though so many factors have threatened to bring us apart, the truth of the gospel actually still keeps us going. The Holy Spirit has prevailed in places that it, seemed impo- it seems impossible. Right? Sometimes I, say, I, watch, I watch generational exchanges or I watch cultural exchanges that happen and I see people struggling to make a connection with someone and I'm like, well, their, at least they're moving forward. They're humble enough to see their culture from a different perspective. By the way, some of the things that we, we think are completely biblical are actually completely traditional. I was, I was talking, I think I was talking to Carrie this week. I had, a, I had an argument in seminary, which arguments happen in seminary all the time, which is fine. We're sitting in the classroom, you know, all, we're in our pastoral ministry class, and we're learning how to, you know, how to, how to be pastors, and the, the topic of, of worship came up. Singing, music, it's always a problem, right? It came up, and there was a fierce argument that was happening, because one of my classmates was, was from a more liturgical tradition, and he said, I don't think it's worship— if there's no organ, I almost fell out of my one arm chair. Are you trying to tell me that if I sing a cappella without any instruments, I'm not worshiping? The answer is no. The village that my mother came from, electricity has never been to, and they still worship. That's not true. And then there was a lady next to him who was from the Church of God, which is all acapella, and she just looked at us like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. (laughs) I'm not serious. There is something that binds us together that is deeper than the walls we put up. right? One of the challenges we face in Christian community when we enter, is to sustain it, is when conflict happens. Right when we experience conflict, the possibility—the possibility that we have—is a man. If I show up in this Christian community with my whole self, there's going to be some kind of rub. Something's going to happen if I bring my whole self. Somebody's going to find me out. The possibility of uncomfortable moments, where perhaps our expectations of Christian community don't match the reality of community. Right when we find community lacking, or we found, or we find people disappointing us, the possibility and the fear can be like, oh man. I'm not going to show up to this Bible study because I don't know. I'm not going to show up in this church community because I think they might not understand me, right? Sometimes we think that they're all-star Christians in the Bible study and I'm just a baby Christian, so I feel a sense of I can't fit in. Or I'm going to say something to someone that's going to offend them and I don't want to do that. Tim Keller says this, he says, there is, more important means of this, there is no more important means of discipleship or the formation of Christian character than deep involvement in the life of the church and Christian community. Unless we submit and become accountable to someone, we will repeatedly slip away and fall away. This verse, when it talks about humility, we tend to gloss over that. But if you do not, as Christians, submit to someone... And, and, and to keep you accountable, it gets very difficult to walk the Christian life by yourself. Our old identities can creep up and devour us unless we're surrounded and encouraged by a community of believers to reemphasize who we are in Christ. Who we—the deep danger of regression cannot cannot pursue us. We are shaped by the way through community and 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 indirectly through conflict. Through discussion and through love. When we get into discussions that 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 our our idols are challenged, maybe our political idols are challenged, our our identities are challenged and we're shaped. It seems like when you walk away, you're like, Man, I just grew as a Christian. I just moved closer to the Lord because of someone who doesn't see the world as I see it, but there's still a brother or sister in Christ. When I speak of church community, I'm not speaking primarily of what's happening here right now. I think there has to be a shift in our language and our thought when we think, I'm going to church. We're going to a church service, and we're learning about the Lord, but this is, What's happening here cannot be your only expression of your Christian faith on a weekly basis. Can I get an amen? Amen. Coming to church is one part, one important part of our Christian journey, but it cannot stop here, right? The The gathering of believers is a significant part of the life of a believer. However, if this is the only way we're missing it. If you, if you think about it this way, if you were to only eat on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning at nine and you had to wait till next week to eat again, there will be a problem. You may not make it till next week. So, this cannot be your only means of interacting with the Word of God, of interacting with other people who are Christians. It has to be more. Our relationships with each other is crucial, but this What's happening here between you and I is a teaching relationship. In your life, there must be a person or a persons, a group of people, where there's time to work out God's truth and discussion and dialogue, where, where humility is confirmed, which that verse talks about forgiveness, where we, we, we learn to forgive and ask for forgiveness within community. That's what brings us together when we work out truth and we dialogue and we learn how to apply the truth of God in our lives because our identities sociologists point out to us that we are our identities are shaped by social communities who we eat with who we play with who we converse with who we counsel and study with is who shapes us if you are if 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 we are in the place where we're just we're reading our bible and maybe we're growing to an extent, but you have no other Christian community in your life, brother and sister, I want to challenge you that you are missing a significant part of your faith journey here on this earth. Amen. Amen. John 13 says this, when Jesus talks about love. He says, we ought to love one another, right? As I have loved you. Here's the deal. To love another person, you have to be in contact with another person. (laughs) We can read John 13 and say, I need to love one another, I need to love somebody. There are tons of one another's in scriptures. We talked about this a few months ago. You can't have one another if you don't have another. Do you have another? Do you have others? In Christian communities, we may seek out ways to encourage one another, to build up one another, and to be grateful for where we are in our faith journey. We've got to get to the point where we're comfortable being uncomfortable. We've got to get to the point where Africans can eat steak and Americans can eat chicken feet. Don't worry, I'll get you there, right? (laughs) If you say, man, chicken feet is not for me, that's okay. I can forgive you, right? But we have got to get to the place where you're able to forgive and you're able to receive forgiveness. You've got to get to the place where your, your, your humility is what shows up your lack of not knowing everything, what shows up, which I, I think Google is so wonderful. We can figure everything out on Google, but you can build a relationship with Google in a sense, and you can get the information, and you can get it all, but what you miss with a lot of that is talking to other people, right? When you sit in a Bible study and someone is from a different place, and they see the scriptures and provide a little bit more light into your circumstances, you kind of see it differently. It opens your eyes to different things. I'll give you a couple examples. We're sitting there in a Bible study one time. I remember we were in the same, kind of the same verses. I was in a Bible study with young kids in Ghana, West Africa, and I remember the phrase, your sin will be white as snow. Well, none of us had seen snow. So we didn't, it doesn't hit you. Does that make sense? But if there had been someone from a cold place that was able to sit with us and, I, and, and say, man, if you, if snow is so white, right? I didn't understand that. On the opposite end, I was in a Bible study when I was in my 20s, and they were talking about Daniel in the lion's den. And most of the people in my Bible study hadn't seen a lion in the wild. Listen. (laughs) If you go to the zoo and you see them, they're kind of tame. But their heads are massive. When they yawn, it's like, whoa. That's a perspective that I can bring. It's a simple thing. To see when you see when 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 if Daniel's in, in a den with a bunch of lions, it hits me more than somebody who hasn't seen a lion ever. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Just like when you think about, when you think about snow, you haven't seen snow. So there's parts in the scripture that that, that we need people in our groups to be able to flesh out for us to see, right? To show grace to one another, to show love to one another to grow together. It is, such a powerful, it is such a powerful thing that I feel like the church in the 18th century had that because it was more formal, but now because we're in pieces, which we've done a lot to bring ourselves together, but I need just to take, to take a step further to say, I'm going to make a countercultural statement here. I'm going to make a countercultural lifestyle a part of what I believe is, is I'm going to build cross, cross-cultural relationships. I'm going to build cross-generational relationships so I can benefit from the whole body of Christ, because we are in a body. Mature Christians become more mature by loving God together. By loving God together, not isolated. We can grow in that as a society. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, as we grow in forgiving one another, as we grow in our maturity, as we grow in our humility, as we grow in in our meekness. Lord, as we submit to each other in community, not just in this room, in this building on Sunday morning, but in coffee shops, at lunches, at dinners, at conversations, as we build community that goes beyond the walls that socially have been established, May we live countercultural lives within our culture that we live in. Heavenly Father, may our lights shine in that way. Lord, may we offer grace to each other. May we forgive each other. In Jesus' name, amen.